I want to uh, continue on along the line of the theme that we're doing in our connect groups at the moment, Made for More. And um, I did it last Sunday and I, I want to pick up now out of Ephesians 2. But for the most part of my message, it probably won't sound like I'm in Ephesians 2. Um, but I'll come to the end of my message and you'll see it all come together. But Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God, everyone say, but God, is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only, everyone say only, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as trophies, if you like, as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done. Nothing we have done, but in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. One translation says, we are God's workmanship. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are saved from sin, but we are saved for a purpose. Many of us enjoy the salvation from sin, but we don't pursue what it is we're saved for. And I believe that's where we find our place of going. We don't just gather, we don't just grow spiritually fat, but we find our place to go and serve kingdom purpose and the wider broken community that the church is called to reach. John 15 verse 1 says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful, cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, separate from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. The Greek word that is translated in this passage in John 15 as cuts off, in that he 
cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit can also mean and can also be translated as lifts up, which makes a huge difference to the reading of this passage. Historic, I'm going to stick very close to my notes in this part because I want you to get what I'm really trying to present here, but historic and current cultural practices in the spring pruning process in a vineyard actually encouraged the maturing of non-fruit-bearing branches, branches that would often run to the ground. The, the gardener would lift the branches off the ground and would gently and carefully and, and very, very tenderly wash off any mud or any debris that would potentially attract mould or other diseases that are, are drawn to vegetation of this particular type. And they would carefully attach that fruitless branch to the trellis. And the purpose in doing so was to nurture that branch in order for it to produce fruit in the next season. The autumn pruning process that would follow the spring and summer period of fruitfulness was where the gardener would eliminate much of the leafy vegetation and the brushwood, the undergrowth that would sometimes just begin to congest the vine. And it's in that autumn, autumn season when that significant burning off process would take place in order to prepare the vine for the coming dormant winter period. Given that Jesus brought this message to his disciples in the spring, when farmers did what he is teaching in this particular passage, I honestly believe it would be safe to assume that, that what he was teaching us was that the Father, our Heavenly Father, the most skilled and gracious gardener of all, when it comes to tenderly caring for the vine and in particular the branches, the fruit-bearing branches, which are us in Jesus' illustration here, in this dispensation of grace, our, our gracious, our merciful, our patient Heavenly Father lifts us up, those of us who are perhaps gone to ground, who have become unfruitful in our Christian walk, in our Christian endeavors, perhaps something has happened that has caused us to go to ground, that has caused us to, to just take a seat, I suppose, as a spectator rather than a participator in this dispensation of grace. I believe that a truer rendition of this verse is that he lifts up our lives. He lifts up those who are broken and hurting and bruised and perhaps wounded in the process of ministry or life in general or things that have not worked out, that have hurt our heart, that have disappointed our soul, that have left us feeling jaded in some way. I honestly believe that the way Jesus is teaching, when you parallel that with what actually takes place in a vineyard, I believe a truer representation of that verse would be that he, he lifts up every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit so as to position it for healthy fruit bearing. I believe that that translation more accurately aligns with the psalmist 
where he declares in Psalm 3, verse 1, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. Stan said it. Jesus bowed his head so ours could be lifted. I honestly believe that would be a more accurate rendition of of, uh, John 15. Rather than he cuts off every branch, we interpret it as God's judgment upon us because we're not producing fruit, because we're not successful, because we're not breaking through as we thought we should break through or as God would expect us to break through. Perhaps we've succumbed to temptation. Perhaps we've succumbed to the pressures of this life and we read a passage like that and we feel, well, I'm going to just be cut off. I don't believe that's the heart of God in the dispensation of grace. I believe it really is saying to us, he lifts up every branch of mine. He tenderly cleans us. He tenderly nurtures us. He tenderly heals us. And he tenderly reattaches us to the trellis so that the life from the vine can put us in a better position where we are off the ground, out of the mud, and in the sun, S-O-N, so that we can bear much fruit in the future. The point of my message today is that every single one of us is in Desperate need of both the vine and the gardener. Every single one of us desperately need the connection to the vine, which is Jesus himself, where we are doing life out of relationship with him, not out of knowing about him, but out of an intimacy where we are walking with him, we're hearing his voice, we're taking direction, we're hearing and obeying, we're following the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's what takes us into fruitfulness. And every single one of us need that desperate connection to the vine, but we also need the desperate hand of the Father Gardener. You know, every one of us, this is going to probably mess with some of your heads, but every one of us are needy. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are so needy. (laughs) Turn to the person on the other side and say, oh, you're definitely needy. Every one of us are needy. In fact, the first point today in my message is this. To be human is to be needy. It is intrinsically human to require someone outside of ourselves to satisfy many inbuilt needs that we lack the ability to meet alone. Often when I do a wedding ceremony, I will say words to this effect, God designed marriage as a safe place in which many inbuilt needs are met and satisfied. The need to love and be loved, the need for a deeper level of friendship and communication, and the need for intimacy. God designed that safe place. Let me, let me pull back the curtain on Margot's and my private life for a second. That's got your attention, hasn't it? (laughs) And Margot's going, what on earth are you going to say? We were sitting on the lounge last night and I was sitting up one end of the lounge and she was lying on the lounge with her legs up and her feet on my lap. 
and I was massaging her feet. I had already cooked dinner for her. <laughs> I did this wonderful chicken dish, Gary. It, it had garlic and honey and it had a little bit of chili flake and, and it was just mouth-watering. Served it up for her. And we're sitting on the lounge, I'm massaging her feet. And you've got to be careful massaging Margot's feet because she gets cramps in her toes. And it's just an ageing thing, I suppose. But <laughs> often in the middle of the night, she'll get out of bed and she'll be doing this. You know, and I wake up and say, what are you doing? It's like you're doing a, some war dance in the spirit or something. And it's like, I've got a cramp in my toe. And, and you never touch your toes when she's in that particular state. But, but I said that not to be funny. I said that to say this. I'm sitting there just massaging her feet. Feeling very, very content in myself. Feeling very, very satisfied in myself. And I thought, you know, apart from having Jesus in my life, what more do I really need? There's something in my relationship with my wife. There's something in my relationship with Margot that, that satisfies something internally in my soul. There's something about just being with her. There's something about just having a heart-to-heart -heart with her. There's something about just lying together on the lounge watching something on the television. There's something about just doing that that meets an inbuilt need in our heart, in our, in our heart, in our mind, in our soul. You know, one modern-day author, and I don't believe he's a Christian guy, but he, he defines six core needs that reside at the core of our humanity. And, and uh, the first one is certainty. The need for security, the need for stability, the need for safety in our life. The second one is variety, diversity, challenge and change. We all need that sense of variety. So we get out of the ho-hum, we get out of the mundane, we get out of the... the, the the routine. Now, I'm a person of routine. I like routine, but just being the same rut all the time, eventually you need some kind of a variety. You need a motorbike ride, don't you, Jim? That, that breaks the rut. You know, significance is the third one. We all need a sense of meaning, having purpose in our life, being wanted. The fourth one is love and connection and intimacy, deeper level of communication. The fifth one is growth, having a sense of development a sense of achievement, a sense of progress in our life. And the sixth one he defined, which I found was an interesting one, is contribution. The ability to give back. The ability to take what we have received freely from God and freely let it go so others can enjoy it, be blessed and be ministered to. My point in sharing that with you is that there is a general consensus across humanity, across our communities, that we all have personal inbuilt needs. We all have this sense inside of us that we, we need something. Yet here's the oxymoron. We, we live with this strong cultural contradiction. We live with this contradiction, particularly in Western culture, where we advocate and we uphold self-sufficiency. And so we've got this, this tension in our life where we, we walk along through life having these inbuilt needs that only someone outside of ourselves can satisfy, and yet we live with this, this sense of having to value and fight for independence, for autonomy, for individualism, and for self-determination. You, you know, you can't deny that that's a cultural value today, that we all want to be in control. 
We all want to determine our destiny. We all want to make the decisions that will take us where we want to go. We don't want to have to be dependent upon anyone. We don't want to have to be dependent upon anything. We want that sense of autonomy. I stand alone. I'm a self-made man. I'm someone that that just determines my course, my destiny. And and the very thought to be needy is something that we, we look at with contempt. The very thought of, of, of having a lack of aut- autonomy in our life is something that we, we see as perhaps a sense of failure in our life or a weakness in our life rather than something to be embraced and celebrated. Within our humanity, we live with that tension in an ongoing way. This independent culture conditions us to look upon being needy with contempt. You know, dependence is something that we associate with Immaturity. A child is dependent. You fill out a form. One of the questions is, how many dependents do you have? They're talking about your kids. They're talking about kids who can't look after themselves, kids who can't protect themselves, who can't uh, you know, determine certain things at that point in their life. And so they are dependent upon the covering of mum and dad. They're dependent upon the covering of the family unit. And that's why God designed the family unit. He, he puts the solitary in families so that there would be that safety net of, of maturation and development and growth and stimulation towards maturity. And yet independence is something we associate with maturity when they come of age. And so there's this this tension where we think to be dependent is something we've got to grow out of. To be dependent is something we've, we've got to leave behind. When I was a child, I thought like a child, Paul said, and I behaved like a child and I acted like a child. But now I've become a man, I put away childish things. And we, I believe, have wrongly put dependence into that same basket where we have to actually grow out of dependence into a place of independence, but yet we're missing the whole point of what Jesus is trying to teach us here. We, we will always de- be dependent. We will always be needy. I, I think it would be safe to say that dependence is something we look to minimise and alleviate in our life rather than something to embrace and celebrate. However, when we read the words of the creator of the universe... In John 15. Yes, he's the creator of the universe. John 1 verse 3 says all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. So Jesus is the creator of the universe. He's the one who brought all this into being. He's the one who created us. You know, it's, it's, we're, you know he, he's the one speaking in this passage in John 15. When we read his words, you, you, we clearly discover an eternal truth that we are in fact totally dependent Every single one of us. And it's not something to be ashamed of. Jesus is actually in this passage inviting us back into a fruitful relationship with him that will increase our life, that will enlarge our life, that will heal our life, that will restore our life, that will put back into our life joy and peace and happiness and strength and purpose and vision and meaning. And that list I just read out, certainty. And all of those things come when we accept the invitation and come back into that intimate relationship with him. Some sitting here would say, oh, you're preaching to the unconverted. I'm already saved. Yeah, but, but there's a lot of saved people who are not living life out of connection with the vine. And there's so many of us are frustrated and we can't work out why. And then we get angry with God when God doesn't come through, when God doesn't bless us, when God doesn't increase us. It's because we, we only look to him in those moments of need rather than doing life out of a living relationship with him that is true and intimate. He, he loves you and wants to just spend time with you. 
You know, it's like I would hate it if, if my two sons constantly knocked on my door. I've got another need, Dad. Oh, last time I saw you, you had a need too. That was, that was three weeks ago. You know, well, you know, I need this. Can you, okay, well, here we go. And then they disappear again. And then you don't hear from them. You don't see them. Nothing happens. And then and all of a sudden they, hey, want to get together? Yeah, what do you want this time? But we do that with Jesus, don't we? we you know, he, he says, if you live in me and you walk, Jesus just wants to take a walk on the beach with us sometimes. Jesus just wants to talk to us. He wants to laugh with us. He wants to hear about our day. He, he wants to hear my latest joke sometimes. It's like, you know, and I, I think he just laughs at the punchline, even though he knows the beginning from the end. He knows what the punchline He'll just laugh anyway because he just loves being with us. Isn't that true? We are all absolutely dependent upon him. In fact, being needy, this is very important to understand, is not a result of the fall. It's not part of our sinful nature to be needy. It's how we've been designed and created. Arden Burrell's here today. And he, he said many, many years ago, and I've stolen this and used it many times in sermons, and I absolutely agree with the point uh, that he was trying to make. And that point is this, that if God died today, many of us wouldn't know for six months. And I understand the point he's trying to make. I've used it many times. Many of us go to church, we play the part, we talk the talk, we talk the jargon, yet out of our Daily endeavours, many of them are not done out of an intimate relationship with Jesus. And Arden's point in saying that is that because we're just doing life, just going to church, and we're just doing what seems right in our own eyes, if God died, half of you wouldn't even know for six months because you're not connected to him anyway. And I know Arden would absolutely agree with what I'm about to say, but the truth of the matter is if God did die today, so would the rest of us. We'd all be gone. We'd be vaporized. We'd be obliterated. And you know how I know that? Because the Bible tells me in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. If he dies today, his mighty power of his word that sustains the universe goes with him. And so do we. We are sustained by, we are dependent upon him. Even the unchurched out there are dependent upon, those that don't believe in him are dependent upon him because he alone sustains life, sustains everything. He is the, in him was life and the life was the light of man. He is the life source. If he dies, so do we. We are absolutely dependent on him. Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. We are all in desperate need of him. We are desperately dependent upon him. Apart from him, we are the living dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. was the opening verse. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. I hate zombie movies, but I have seen some. Not because I intentionally watch them, it's because I've been with... My two sons, when they've watched them. I don't know that you're right into the zombie movies, but your brother is. And it's gross. It's gross. They've got flesh hanging off them and their eyes are hollow and they're just kind of like... You know, and then someone gets a shotgun and blows one away and then the next one arises and they're just... They're, they're the living dead. They're just zombies. You know, outside of Christ, that really is what we are. We are the living dead. We have the appearance of life. 
because there's movement. There's, there's seeming progress. We're getting from here to there. We're perhaps achieving in business. We're perhaps achieving in, in certain areas of life, relationships and, and careers and, and, and all sorts of things. We have the appearance of life, but there's not true life. Because we're not connected to the one who sustains the universe by the mighty power of his command. You know, we desperately need him. You know, in many ways, in many ways, we are called to be like God. And I've preached this numerous times. We're called to be transformed into the image of Jesus. We're called to... Follow him. Those who say they are in Christ, let him walk even as Jesus walked. Let him live even as Jesus lived. That's, that's a passage in the Bible, and it's, it's true. You know, Romans 8.29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his Son. That's you and I. He's called us to be conformed to the image of Jesus, the creator of the universe. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. But let me tell you this. There are some aspects to God that we are not called to be like. There are some aspects to God, some aspects of the very nature of God that we are never to try and pursue. That's what got the devil in trouble. That's what caused Lucifer to be expelled from heaven because he pursued something that he was not designed or created to pursue. You know, only God. You know, when it, when it comes to his love, we're called to be like him. When it comes to his patience, we're called to be like him. When it comes to his kindness, when it comes to his grace, when it comes to his, his, his passion for lost people and, and what he feels for broken humanity, what he feels for those that are discouraged, those that are down and out, those whose head has bowed down, the, you know, a bruised reed, he will not break. He, he comes to lift up and he lifts people up through our hands. That's why we're called the body of Christ. We are the expression of who he is today to the world. So, you know, a bruised reed, he will not break. So when a bruised person comes through the doors of our church, we're meant to lift him up as the hands of Jesus, as the body of Christ. So we are called to be like God with his love, his patience, his kindness, but not his self-sufficiency. Only God is self-sufficient. Only God will be self-sufficient. He is El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. We are not called to pursue that attribute. We are not created all-sufficient, independent. We are in desperate need of our God. In the Passion Translation of Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, For when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless. That's us. Separate from the vine, we are helpless. We are lost. We are fruitless. We are lifeless. We wither and produce no fruit that he classes as significant in our life. We were powerless to save ourselves. Our opening passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. We were drowning. We were drowning. And we needed to be rescued. 
Those, I can't remember how many, those young Thai boys that were caught in the cave. And one man lost his life trying to rescue them. But there was nothing they could do to save themselves. Nothing they could do to get out of there. They needed a saviour. And a team of men went in and courageously got every one of them out and saved their life. None of them could sit outside and say, well, it's because I did this, because I did that, because I did this. You know, we, we, we strategized and we got out. No, they were, they were in desperate need of a saviour. And so uh, we, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. We are his workmanship. He's created us anew in Christ. He designed us. He created us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to pour his fruit-bearing life into the fibre of our life, our, us as a branch, so that out of us can come forth an expression of who he really is. We are made by God. We are saved by God. And we are made and we are saved for more. What is the more? that we are saved for. We have to discover that. We have to utilise that. You don't have to do everything, but you need to find what it is that he's called you to do. Mm. And do it with all your heart yeah. out of faithfulness to the Lord. And if you do that, you will stand before him one day and you'll hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, I didn't build a great church like Joe down the road. I didn't ask you to. Yeah. I asked you to do that yeah. and you did that. Yeah, but I couldn't grow the church to a mega church. I, I couldn't do anything. I, I didn't ask you to do that. I just asked you to plant water. I bring the increase. You know, and you, I'm given illustrations that I can apply to my own life, but I'm sure you're sitting there with other illustrations. You know, if you just find what it is he wants you to do and you do it faithfully and out of an intimate, abiding dependence upon God, he will continue to fashion you, mould you, shape you. He'll cut off some rough edges. He'll adjust your character, he'll adjust your nature, and he'll make you more and more like him. And out of that, you will bear much fruit. Amen? Mm. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that we all get a fresh revelation of our desperate need for Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we realize that we can't go one day without you. We need you, desperately need you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would hover over this auditorium and you would draw all of us into a deeper level of intimacy with you. That we would become people who hear your voice and obey your voice. And as a result, walk into an incredible place of fruitfulness.